Welcome back to another episode of the Neurodiverse Love Podcast. I'm Mona, and I was in a relationship with my ex for 32 years. I did not, we were married for 30, and I did not find out until our 29th year of marriage that he was possibly on the autism spectrum. And I am here with my co-host, Olga. Hi, I'm Olga, and I was on a relationship with a person that that's on the spectrum for almost a year, and I am guilty of getting <laughs> Mona <laughs> to realize that her ex-husband was on the spectrum also. Yep. It's all Olga's fault, and I don't think we've talked about this on a podcast, but we actually went on a double date. With our exes, one yes. double date. <laughs> wow, yes, yes. That was an interesting double interesting. date. It was, it was. So today's episode is going to be um, maybe a little bit difficult for anybody who is on the spectrum, but we feel these are important things that we need to share about our relationships. And we're going to talk about why the neurotypical might feel like they're always having to change and um, make concessions once they find out they're in a neurodiverse relationship. And we can only speak from our perspective because we're not on the spectrum. So this is going to be from the neurotypical uh, perspective. So because I didn't know we were neurodiverse until our 29th year of marriage, I think that where I saw that happening where I always had to kind of concede was for all the big issues in life. Uh, I think the first one was a child. I had to agree that we would not have, first, my ex did not want to have children. And then he, when he realized he would lose me, if he wasn't willing to have children, he said, I'll have one. And, but I want to wait five years. I'm like, okay. We got married and the five years turned into nine years. So I waited nine years to have a child when we had agreed it would be five years. And I almost gave up hope that we would have a child. Um, the next big issue was we were going to buy a house together and we had put in an offer and we were doing this together. And then my ex decided um, without consulting me that we were not going to move forward anymore. And I had to concede because he basically had a little bit of a panic attack, anxiety attack, and told me he couldn't move forward on buying a house, even though we had put in an offer. And that was a really big one for me. And then um, he didn't work for almost eight years of our relationship. And we had agreed that he would take one year to work on a film he was doing and he would not work. And that turned into almost eight years. And I did not leave the marriage. I supported, you know, my ex and our daughter. And it was emotionally, all of those things were emotionally draining and exhausting. And I didn't understand them. Um, and I had to make concessions on these big issues. I think for the smaller issues, what I realized was my ex would often say yes to me. Like, 
you know, do you want to buy, you know, this for the house? And he would say, yeah, because he didn't really care what we bought for the house, or he didn't really care about a lot of decisions that we made in our day-to-day life. But when it took him out of his comfort zone and affected or would affect his equilibrium, he reacted in a very, very strong way and put a stop to it immediately. And I had to concede. The other thing I just remembered was um, we live in Florida now and we were supposed to go back to Los Angeles. We came here to take care of my mom. And when she passed away in 2009, my ex decided unilaterally that we were staying um, because my daughter wanted to go uh, be in the marching band and never consulted me, never asked me. And we've uh, we've stayed here. You know, I'm still here in 2021 in a place that I was never meant to stay. We came here temporarily. So um, I think that there are a lot of NTs, neurotypicals, who have posted things on Instagram and have emailed us talking about why does it always have to be the neurotypical that makes the changes? Why does it have to be the neurotypical that concedes? And I guarantee you, if we had, you know, two people on the spectrum who are sitting here talking to us, they would feel the same way. So remember, this is just the NT's perspective. So those are some of the things that I feel I've had to do. What about you, Olga? I was just thinking about that because during the process of talking about what had happened in our relationship with my ex, we went back to that, how we felt like that he had to understand this certain things and then I had to understand certain things. But the, the daily life, uh, because everything becomes so overwhelming and the way we process things were so di- was so different. I had more space in my brain to be able to come out of the situation and say, okay, I'm going to be, I'm going to understand him, what he's going through. And I, I'm going to be the one, you know, waiting or being patient or doing what needs to be done. Uh, even though sometimes he did, I mean, it's not always, but right. but it happens very frequently. Or even when he decided that he needed to go back, I knew, you know, I knew that was coming because I could see how overwhelming figuring out his life um, here in Florida was for mm-hmm. him. So I kind of felt like that was coming. Uh, but again, it's, it's not about me. It's not about the relationship. It's more about you know, his life and I have to understand that and I have to, like you said, concede in yeah. the, okay. Okay. That's, that's how it's going to go. And when he decided to move in with me, it was, he decided he was <laughs> moving with me and right. he packed his entire apartment and moved his entire apartment, right. apartment into my very small apartment. <laughs> and I had just had a surgery. So it was like, that doesn't really make sense, but it made sense to, to him, him because it was fully, he was going fully into the relationship. Mm-hmm. So it made sense. So I had to be the one understanding all of that and say, in knowing that my apartment was going to be a mess and that I was recovering from, from surgery. And then we were going to go visit my family and it also triggered some reactions and I had to understand, you know, uh, and it's like constant, it feels like constantly mm-hmm. having to 
understand having to give the space having to wait like if he needed to decompress and he'll disappear for disappear i mean like he wouldn't call me or um just you know not not emotionally available not responding um i had to understand also that he needs an afternoon a whole night a whole day a whole weekend Mm -hmm. and then uh, one day he's gonna show up again Mm -hmm. and you know we we put in place something where i said well at least let me know that you are in overload and that you need to go into that you know kind of into your cave and and not (laughs) come out until you're okay with it um and and that worked but of course it's like it takes a lot to every single time be assertive and right you know do what you have to do so it it does seem like it and i think when you sign up for a relationship and you are aware that this is happening you kind of know that you're going to be the one seeing more of the big picture and uh, because you see more of the big, big picture and you understand things better you are going to end up feeling like you have to uh, do more of the changing <laughs> and yeah. more of the work and or even well i was mentioning before it, it seems like we're there to rescue them from themselves sometimes mm-hmm. which in the process of all of this i understood that you don't always have to rescue them no. and, and feeling like that is horrible <laughs> i feel horrible saying it but i think i learned the hard way that you know he does his own process. He does. He makes his own decisions, and and I have to respect them. And mm-hmm. I understood also in the relationship I had after him um, that I think there is differences there in how our brains are wired. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and again, I have to, you know, understand that it is his process, his options. He makes his decisions, and. And I have to be okay with those too. Like, okay, you're living, you're living, and I can't change it. I can't force you into it, manipulate you into it. Because my neurotypical woman brain will go into, oh, you didn't love me and all this drama. Mm-hmm. That's going to make you change your life, <laughs> your, your, your decisions. Um, but no, he he doesn't need that. No. So, And they can a, change their minds, but as soon as they get in that place where they're out of their comfort zone or they're overwhelmed or stressed, we're going to have the meltdown or the shutdown. And I, it's just so amazing when you look back. um, And I'm sure my ex says the same thing. If he ever looks back, he he probably doesn't. But um, when I look back and process things through this lens, there were so many shutdowns. My ex-husband did not have meltdowns until we were separated. Then I saw more than I wanted to, but the shutdowns, he, you talked about going into your cave in our house that I'm still living in. We have a walk-in closet that he actually made his office, um, his little recording studio and office. And my daughter and I used to call it the bat cave. And then he started calling it the bat cave. And I couldn't understand how he could be in this little walk. And what's not a big walk-in closet. It's a little walk-in closet and be in there for the entire day. But now I understand when he felt overwhelmed and he felt like he couldn't change and he couldn't make things right, he needed to shut down and go there. Uh, I also realized that you talked about rescuing. And again, I'm a social worker. That's what I do for a living. 
I didn't know how to turn it off. And I know um, a support group that I was in probably five, four or five years ago, a lot of us were helping professionals and it was a support group for neurodiverse um, couples for the NT. And either the, a lot of the folks were either the women mostly were psychologists, social workers. Um, they worked in education, worked with learning disabled children, Almost all of us were in the helping profession. And I know that I rescued my ex over and over and over again and stepped in when I shouldn't have, but I didn't know how he could do it on his own. And what's so wonderful for him and interesting to see is that he's been on his own for five years. I have no idea, you know, how he's paying his bills and how he's doing everything. I mean, he has a job. But he's managing. He hasn't gotten yeah. evicted. You haven't rescued uh, him. I evicted. haven't had to rescue him <laughs> once. Yeah. Um, and, you know, he's proven to himself that he is a strong, capable man. And I always knew he was. But when I felt he wasn't going in that direction, in, I would walk and rescue him. And that didn't do either one of us any good. Mm -hmm. I also think when um, change is overwhelming for the folks who are on the autism spectrum, uh, instead of pushing the envelope, which is what I did over and over and over again, and I can smile about it now, but it had to be so emotionally draining for him. And I know it was for me, but on a different level, when um, he was overwhelmed, I needed to walk away. Instead of forcing him to change because I didn't know that he couldn't. Um, I needed to just walk away and find an outlet for myself. Go talk to you, Olga. <laughs> um, not push that because when he was overwhelmed, not only did he not hear what I was saying, there was no way that he could make any changes because the overload and the flooding was, it was too much. It was too much. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think totally, that's important too. Yeah, I remember my um, my ex-husband used to not talk to me for a week. And I used to think, oh my God, he is so mean to me. I hate this. I don't like it when when you make me feel like I'm just part of the house, not like another piece of furniture. You're not wow. talking to me and, you know. But now I think it has to do with that. He's overwhelmed with the situation. He can't, He doesn't know how to get out of it. He doesn't know how to fix it. So he just avoids it mm -hmm. until he's okay with coming back, pretend or acting like nothing happened. Right. That's another <laughs> so, one. Because <laughs> I didn't understand that at that time, I, it will hurt me. Right. And it just, you know, that relationship failed even worse in a worse manner because at the end I felt just completely drained and hurt mm -hmm. because so many things happened um, that I, again, I had to be the one understanding all of that, or I didn't understand. So I was so confused right. and, and it was just telling me he doesn't love me. He doesn't really love me. He doesn't know me for so many years. And he didn't know himself. He didn't. And I think know. that's the thing. That's why we are um, doing this podcast in part because we're growing. This is, I've, I've said this to my ex, it's very cathartic to be able to talk about all these things and to have these understanding or have this understanding about why things didn't work, why the change didn't happen, why we couldn't communicate well, 
now we understand why, right? Yes. So I think, um, and maybe going into the lessons learned. Yeah. Um, I think if we know that we don't have to rescue them, that they are um, getting to know them, getting getting to know how they react, what triggers them, uh, and how we react and what we need, we definitely can avoid a lot of that um, trauma because I think at the end it's trauma. Absolutely. Because we both go through so much trying to make something work that we don't even know what it is and right. how it is. Right. If you don't know it, it's very, very difficult to go to go through it and, and come out in a good way uh, or have a, a positive outcome. So to for the outcome to be positive, then I think being aware of what's going on and in, in what what each one of us has um, in you know how the needs and and things that trigger us or things that feel like I am gonna have to concede and you are the one who get overwhelmed um, by this or you know if we know that we may be able to put some things in place that will protect both of us yeah. in those situations so we don't feel like the neurotypical is always the one that has to understand um so what you have said in the past about both in that are involved in the relationship knowing what how we are what we have um and how and being willing to do the work is the key to to also overcoming the fact that we are wired differently. We perceive life differently and in, in daily events mm -hmm. differently. Um, so we protect our hearts and our lives and yeah. persons. Yeah. I, I think protecting your your heart and your emotional well-being is really critical. Um, my lesson that I want to share is that understanding what gets your partner in the red zone. And that, um, I'm reading a book where they talk about the green zone, the orange zone, and the red zone. And the red zone is where there's no coming back for that until they get all of that out. And how you can see in the orange zone, they, they're about to be triggered to the point of a shutdown or a meltdown. And I can tell you with um, the person that I was with after my ex and I divorced, who may be on the spectrum, um, he would have meltdowns and shutdowns. And I remember the meltdowns were so difficult for me to manage because the words that came out of his mouth were so harsh. And I think a lot of people have written about that on um, our Instagram and other sites. You can't take those things personal. I think it's critical. This is a big lesson learned for me. During the separation from my ex-husband, he was very, very mean to me. Um, and I kept conceding and I kept changing in hopes that he would get nicer to me. And that wasn't going to change because he was so overwhelmed by everything that was going on. And I needed to stop taking things personal and changing myself and morphing myself into something that I no longer recognized. And with the shutdowns or meltdowns, I think it's critical to understand that it's not personal. 
Those harsh words are not personal. The anger, it's not personal. It is our neurodiverse partners who are overwhelmed, whether it's a sensory overwhelmness or sensory overload or emotional overload or work overload or whatever, and they just need time with their special interests. They need time alone. They need time outside with nature, whatever. If I could go back, the one thing that I would absolutely change is not to take all of that personal and not to try to be a Gumby and morph myself into something that would make his life easier. Instead, walk away and have some private time, give him the time and have a time limit because a week away is not a good idea when you're under the same roof, but you know, 24 hours away agree that, you know, we'll not talk about this or any other issues for 24 hours would be helpful. So I think this was another important topic that we needed to talk about. And if you are interested in following us on Instagram, we are at neurodiverse underscore love. We have a website. It's neurodiverselove.com with lots of information and resources. And then also, if you want to email us, you can email us at neurodiverselove, the number four, the letter U at gmail.com. And I hope you all will share the podcast with others and subscribe if you're not subscribing and share this message with other people, because we know there's a lot of neurodiverse couples out there who might benefit from hearing some of the things we've learned and some of the things we've gone through. So thank you all. Bye.